This is Wade's World, where we talk to the most interesting people in the world on KABF 88.3, the voice of the people. You know the story on Wade's World. We talk to the most interesting people in the world, and today we're talking to John Womack, Professor Emeritus at Harvard University, and Peter Olney, an old comrade and friend, and former organizing director for the International Longshoremen Workers Union, and we're talking about a new book they put together called Labor, Power, and Strategy. Gentlemen, brothers, welcome to Wade's World. Thank you, Wade. Thanks, Wade. Good to be with you. I know Peter and I have talked about this call for a while. I'm actually in New Albany, Mississippi, the location of a former unsuccessful utopian community in North Mississippi between Atlanta and Little Rock today. Glad to have you guys, and we're talking about something interesting. Peter, I'm going to start with you. Choke points. This has been a topic for a long time, and that's part of what this book is about, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, Wade. I am working at the ILWU, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, I saw firsthand the extraordinary power of workers at a choke point in the economy, which the docks on the West Coast and the East Coast and the Gulf represent. You know, workers in those key positions in the maritime supply chain stop working. The economy can grind to a halt within a week. So I became acutely aware of choke points and key sectors of the economy and wrote wrote some stuff about this. And I was, you know, really thrilled to receive an email from Professor John Womack, who I knew as an historian of the Mexican Revolution. And he, in fact, has written extensively on this topic. And so this book that we put together called Labor, Power, and Strategy really highlights John's thinking about choke points and strategic sectors. And then we get 10 of the best labor organizers and educators to respond to John. So the book is kind of a dialogue between John and these organizers. And you and John got together at someplace, was it Somerville, Massachusetts? Yeah, John and I had a couple of lunches at a restaurant called The The Foundry in Davis Square in Somerville. And I interviewed John, and we transcribed the interview. And then, again, as I said, these 10 brilliant organizers responded to John. And then John responds to them. So it's kind of an extraordinary book. It's a little different than just one person preaching the gospel. This is a dialogue among many organizers. Well, and you got to love the fact that the foundry conversation, you know, if there hadn't been a place in Davis Square, y'all would have had to find a cafe or coffee house with that kind of name, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, I loved it. I know Davis Square. So there you go. Well, it's fascinating to read the interviews, and obviously it provoked a lot of different discussion. Um, it's, it's an interesting time we are. Is there a belief, John, on your part, that we have an opportunity to really put together the kind of strategy you and Peter were talking about? Yeah, I, I think, you know, really, it's always a good time for that kind of action. But um, particularly with a lot of labor action that's been going on, and a lot that may happen through the rest of this year, around particularly, if only to mention one, point, July 31st, August 1st, when the UPS contract runs out and 
the Teamsters, hundreds of thousands of them, and may well, if they don't get the contract they want, a strike. Uh, that is huge choke point in the economy. If they strike, there's no way that Amazon or any of the other people who use this can do all the work that UPS does. So that's an issue. But I also, I, I want to make the point, and I hope I made it the book, that this can happen not at, at lots of other levels as well, in a particular workplace, one that may not move the economy as a whole, but can still a friend of Peter's and now mine, Jeff Hermanson, was pointing out that the garment workers, they said that at one point, four button sewers, he couldn't stop a shop of 60 people with just four people. If they don't do their work, then they've nobody, the other people who depend on them can't do their work. That's so, it really is wherever there is a collection of people um, that they're divided up. There's a kind of a technical organization of labor and some people, few, can stop lots of others. And that's what I, tried to concentrate on through the book and uh, give some examples of it. But Scott, um, you don't really believe in episodes. You believe in networks where one thing gets linked to another. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. I think, no, it's it, and particularly in, in just in technical ways and in industrial that really are, there really are networks where the move, you move to take over one point you disrupt the whole network, and that's uh, the main point about what I argued. But for example, one of the interesting things that you argued was the Fight for 15 campaign in and of itself is fine for those fast food workers that might get $15, but unless it spread to other industries, it didn't have the kind of impact we're talking about in terms of chain response and, and building labor power. That's right. I think, I mean, there are something like 9,000, I think, Starbucks. And uh, that I think they've organized so far 250 of them. That's a drop in the bucket for the 9,000. And if all of them get organized, then you still, people are going to pay a little bit more for coffee, but it won't make that much difference. So the, um, the, 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 the crucial thing is something like, well, for, for example, a big example, the biggest probably, Amazon. Now, that would make a huge difference if, you know, there was some action that started there that was not just organizing one shop, but organizing a strategic warehouse. That would really have a, a major impact on the economy at large, unlike, say, Starbucks. I understand. Peter, we've talked about the supply chains, and we're talking today, John Womack, a professor emeritus at Harvard, and Peter Olden, a veteran organizer and former organizing director for the ILWU about their book, Labor, Power, and Strategy. They had a number of interviews, and others responded. Peter, I mean, your example about what you saw, whether it was San Pedro or wherever else that the ILWU could be, what would it take to we see? We now read about supply chains every day, and supposedly, you know, Mexico is hot again because China is, you know, no longer reliable. 
what would it possibly take to really disrupt a size a supply chain sufficient to build labor power? Well, the challenge is the to get beyond sort of sectional exclusivity. By that I mean our union, the ILWU, has tremendous power on the docks, which they've leveraged to achieve some of the best wages and working conditions in the in the working class world. But inland from those docks, you have workers in warehouses, including Amazon facilities, that are working at, you know, minimum wage with limited benefits under horrific conditions. So the question and challenge for the labor movement is to use the power you have before it disappears to extend labor power and solidarity to workers who are part and parcel of your supply chain. And that's really the challenge in, in many of these sectors where we have high density, but we're flanked by low density, whether it be port truckers or warehouse workers. So the challenge is to understand your power, but understand your power ultimately will be eroded unless you extend that power in solidarity with other workers. It was depressing yeah. to read a piece in the Wall Street Journal around Christmas time about the pushback from Amazon and Starbucks, but it went into detail with a woman who was a key organizer for an Amazon plant in the Inland Empire, one of 500 warehouses around that area, as you know it, San Bernardino and around there. Um, and they had tried to file a petition with the labor board and didn't make the 30%. So what could they say? It's just hard to see that we have a winning strategy with Amazon at this point or a way that enough unions and others are coordinating. Should we be worried about that or what can we do about that? I think it takes some action in the ILWU and, uh, and at other places, Chicago, for instance. Chicago is a huge distribution center. And if the, if the uh, crane operators in, uh, on the West Coast don't want to act to move into the internal empire, the, the inland empire, then there's plenty of action going on, on in different places in Chicago. And uh, it could come out of there. That uh, you, what you need is, is coordinated action among several sorting centers for Amazon, for instance. And if that began to work, then I think, I mean, one of the things that happens, I think, when labor moves, it, it, it gathers strength. That is, people who were not ready to act, then when they see others acting successfully, then they will move. And so if something gets started around Chicago or any other major distribution centers to coordinate warehouse workers, that would, I think, make a big difference. Um, John, uh, for the discussion, I read your book, your classic Zapata and the Mexican Revolution. and. One, one thing I would take away is you strongly believe that, that you need a base and you need to always keep that base in mind if you're going to try to build power. How would you yeah. apply that kind of to the question we're talking about? Well, that's a good point. Yes, you need a base and then to hold on to, it, on to it. And you need people in that base who are open to the rest of the world. And that was something unusual about those people in Moray, that they weren't, that the leaders, anyway, were not just concerned with their own village, but with making it 
spread all everywhere. And that came, I think, out of the fact that a lot of those leaders were like, they were grandchildren of slaves. There's something about the slave market that made them, that gave them that kind of open view of the world. But I think in terms of the labor in the U.S. now, what you need is a base like the ILWU and on the West Coast or the labor movement in L.A. on its own. If the crane operators don't want to organize the warehouse workers, then Los Angeles can be a base for organizing them. Or Chicago. If you get L.A. and Chicago moving both into the distribution centers in the western part of the country, you've got a huge lock on and you've got a base in Chicago and you'd have a base in, in L.A. That's, and I think those are the kinds of bases you could you could count on, and because Chicago, the rebellious quality in Chicago is not going to disappear, and the rebellion's quality of, in L.A., from what they've built over the last 30 years, isn't going to go away. So those are strong bases, I think, not necessarily technical, but they can become technical and industrial if they begin to, to move into organizing along these, the, the supply chain. And well, was, was where we had, had union strength build up around port cities, whether it's the West Coast or New Orleans or New York. The, you know, two great general strikes in the U.S. were in New Orleans and the San Francisco area. Railroads were obviously key. Now you mentioned the truckers and UPS. That's certainly the largest unit by far. More than half of the membership of the Teamsters is in that UPS unit. But this problem of, of what Peter is calling sectional exclusivity, it's just hard to, to see even in the crisis we face in labor around the world and certainly in the U.S. that enough people are trying to come together to bridge that ex exclusivity. Peter, is where are we going to go with this? Well, I see signs of, of promise and hope weighed in, in three different unions in this country. We have new leadership at the Teamsters Union, which is taking a very aggressive stance towards this UPS negotiation that John referred to. And they've created an Amazon task force, and they're actively working in many locations around the country, not just San Bernard, to build a base in these Amazon facilities so that they'll be able to take direct action and empower workers. So I, I find that, Jim, the United Auto Workers has a reform movement now, which is about to take power. Probably a new president and new board will be sworn in on March 13th. And wow, I mean, here's a situation where we have 1.3 million auto workers in this country and less than 300,000 are in the UAW. And you want to talk about an industry where there's strategic choke points. There are auto parts factories in this country that if you organize them, and if you're able to stop production, you stop the whole auto industry from functioning in this country. So there's, there's some strategic choke points and there's a new leadership that may be willing to step up and start thinking about the mass organization of auto workers again in this country. And finally, in a union that you know well, Wade, the United Food and Commercial Workers, it represents grocery workers, retail workers, there's a reform movement there that's actively talking about organizing retail workers, organizing all of the whole foods and these 
all this proliferation of grocery stores that are non-union. So in those three unions, I see signs of hope and promise and regeneration. So I'm, I'm pretty enthusiastic about the moment. Well, it's wonderful to hear. We're talking to Peter Olney and John Womack about the book they just uh, edited and produced called Labor Power and Strategy, and it is very important. I've got to tell you, John, I love one story in this book, which was about the organization in Nacogdoches of the cafeteria workers. You mentioned CWA organizer. That organizer was Judy Graves, who was a longtime ACORN organizer who then went to work for CWA and retired from there as, as uh, their deputy organizing director a couple of years ago, who I know well. I remember that campaign, know it, and got to give advice on it because we were also organizing food service workers at colleges at the same time. But it was, I love the point you made, but the point you made in that particular example in the book was that it's always important to understand what the history of worker struggle is when you're organizing. And part of what the point Peter just made and the point I've always made to organizers is no matter where you are, there's always a history that you can build on. If you listen carefully and ask the right questions, you'll find somebody stood up maybe five, 10 years ago, maybe got fired, but there, you know, there's always some history of struggle and we have to build on that. But that's a long road to go. Peter's painted the most optimistic picture. I don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer here, but it takes, you're obviously not one who believes that there's a moment that we can create, but there's a moment that we have to build on. Do you see the same kind of hope? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, there, particularly, and, you know, you know this very well across the South. I mean, there, there are places that have been in a kind of unknown out, well, that that have a kind of a history of struggle over uh, maybe other rights, other questions. There's civil rights or the, the workplace, and that, that they're not known outside, you know, other than just where they exist. But uh, when you start to contemplate organizing a place, like that in Naga, those people had to have been fired up for 15, 20 years some of them are longer and uh, almost anywhere where you've got a, anything like a stable workforce there are there's a history of abuse the history of injustice and, uh, and people who have fought against it and have lost in the past but you can go back to them and, uh, and move even in a small place you know or college or uh, companies a restaurant and but it can then build into something larger talk about uh, associational power that seemed to be one of the issues that both the responders and you and peter went back and forth about and i read it carefully because i'm not sure if acorn is part of associational power or labor power or whichever but how would we summarize the arguments for the listeners on that well i think both are you know obviously important in any kind of labor struggle associational power you could call it public support but it's not specifically a labor in other words anybody can get public support you know, workers, bosses, people in between, they can get public support. But the only thing that, that, that I want to emphasize is that the only power workers as such have is, is to not work and to stop other people from working. That is 
strictly speaking, the only power that labor has. But it needs, I can't, I don't want to deny that it needs public support. The piece that Gene Bruskin had in the book is about the public support that the strategically placed workers in the livestock department at Smithfield had when they wouldn't let the picks through, but they immediately, they had through the, the UFCW, they had a national network of support calling the NLRB, calling Smithfield, and so on. That's public support. That's associational power. And so you need both. I mean, I, I've, in this drive today and yesterday, and about 30 miles down from where I am now, I passed a giant Toyota plant, and I passed a huge Kia plant yesterday, and they are in the middle of nowhere. So the associational power will be interesting to build on auto. Look, unfortunately, we could go on for hours, the three of us, but I don't want to leave without John, you, and Peter telling us how the listeners can get a copy of Labor, Power, and Strategy, John Womack edited by Peter Oldie and Glenn Perithic. How can people get this book? Peter, you want to take that one? Sure. You can get it real easy. Go up on the website of our publisher, PM Press. So you go to PM, like Post Meridian Press, pmpress.org. Go up on their website and you can order. You can also order it on Amazon, but let's start with our publisher. <laughs> yes. Exactly. We actually, we, we actually heard, Wade, that Amazon had sold out of our book, which we viewed as a very promising sign. And then we thought, oh, wait a moment, maybe Amazon's refusing to stock our book because it explicitly <laughs> talks about organizing Amazon. Well, the irony of Amazon as a book buyer, you don't want to know this, is that they actually buy the whole stock on the front end. And because they believe in the long tail, they keep it. So you actually, as opposed to Many other bookstores that'll tell you, okay, you got a reminders. We're going to take these and you have to buy back the five you didn't sell. They, whatever they bought, they kept. Now, they may not have bought a lot of labor strategy, labor power and strategy, but maybe they're more into the dollar. They might buy more. You never know. If, there, if people want to continue this dialogue, is there a way, John or Peter or both of you, that they can get a hold of you? Or is there a website for the the, the book or anything else that could lead people to more discussion and work on this topic? Yeah, well, if you go up on uh, PM Press's website, they have a section called Events, and that event site will show you all the public events, book launch parties, public discussions, forums that are taking place on this crucial topic and on this crucial book. We had Gene Bruskin on this same show a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we know that's one way. Now, you also, Peter, you have a website that often is involved in these kind of discussions. So yeah, you want to go on my uh, website, stansburyforum.com, Stansbury, S-T-A-N-S-B-U-R-Y, forum.com. And, and you can read a lot about these topics, articles I've written, articles about the book a review of the book. So uh, there's plenty of resources here to tap into this book, and uh, we look forward to hearing from readers. Well, yeah. the one thing, there's a lot that we could talk about, and this has been great to have both of you with me. That's John Womack and Peter Olney, Labor, Power, and Strategy, PM Press. This has been Wade's World for another week, the world where the other half lives, and we talk about things you've never heard. And as Lucinda Williams sang, things you've never seen and will never forget. 
Wage World is underwritten by the Darrow Foundation, a progressive force enabling change based in Little Rock, Arkansas. As the song goes, we say it loud, we say it on the air, we say it on the radio. Until next week, when we'll have another guest. This is Wade Brasky from Wage World. Thank you.